2: Now here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Athlete Yet, yeah. a transcend race hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk, man. I back it up, and we are sock full of that. man. am right. And Jeff Howe, it's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. because Stone, Cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. We've hit that kind of lull in the year-long college football calendar, but there's no lull here on Longhorn Blitz. Mm-hmm. We actually do have a lot to talk about, and we'll get into it right now. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of another presentation of this podcast. Support this podcast by going to anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. It's Horns two four seven. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And if you'd be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and... A daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir?
1: Doing pretty well, man. How about you?
2: Not too shabby. Can I tell you guys something, though? You, yes, I know. Yes. So I'll be 40 in, uh, in Ooh, September. Big
1: 4-0. You guys
2: notice, like, the older you get, it's almost like going through puberty again where you start to get hair in spots where you've never really <laughs> dealt with hair issues before.
0: Trust me. We, it's unfortunate. And my
2: big one is nose hair right now. Oh, like, oh yeah?
0: And yeah, it's, it's crazy, like, it's starting, and you're like, so why now? Yeah. I can't get hair to grow places I want the hair to grow, but places where I don't want the hair to grow, it's, like,
2: robust growth. No joke, this, growth. this <laughs> morning on the drive-in, right, on the drive-in, <laughs> I sneezed, and then just kind of, I didn't have snot, but I just kind of rubbed my nose or wiped my nose like this, and I'm like, why? Is it, there's a hair follicle on my finger. Like, Oh,
1: yeah. No. it's <laughs> yeah. Fortunate. That's why they have ear, nose,
2: and throat all right, yeah. specialists. To, all yeah, start
1: checking. I'm you, lucky. I'm like a hairless man. Uh,
2: a man who can tell you about ear, nose, and throat specialists or any number of topics you want to get into, he's a renaissance man. He can do things like that. Uh, wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie each and every weekday with Mike Harge from 3 to 7. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program Number one in your hearts, Rod Babers. I
0: appreciate the intro, brother. Gets sweeter every time.
2: Rod, you realize we've been doing this show for over a decade now, and you are still the best number 21 to ever play football on a 48
0: Hey, man, listen, I'm hoping one day. That's, but you know what? It'll never happen because they change numbers too much. True.
1: Very true.
0: Like, a lot of a think lot about of it. Jay, which like he he was twenty one at one point, and then he's on oh, his like third number or something. I don't know what. The hell, Wait, I don't even were these I on this his third, third number in three years. Yeah, like, guys. It used to be guys had a lot of pride in numbers, like. Even if you didn't really want that number, like I didn't really want twenty one to cost that I wanted number two. I wasn't gonna get it because everybody wanted to be when the deuce. Dion. Dion. Yeah, everybody wanted to do. So I got twenty one, and but once you got twenty one, it's like, all right, let's make it famous. Yeah, guys don't care about that anymore. It's like, nah, I'll just keep switching until I get a number that that basically that number coincides with me being good. Yeah. And yeah. then once that number, once I'm good in that number, then maybe I'll keep that number, but exactly worthy. He didn't even keep, I guess he said. And then there's like, if you have a down year, then I'm going to switch numbers because I don't want the the bad number. That's from the slump year. Yeah. So I don't want that number. I'm going to switch to another number so I can get a clean slate. So the psychology of it is way, way crazy. And I just can't relate to it because I'm an old man now.
1: And for clarity's <laughs> sake, to make the number 21 for football relevant, because I remember previous conversations with certain number 21s where they're like, hey, this number 21. At Texas is quite relevant. Yeah.
2: But on the gridiron, Rod yes. is still. Oh,
1: uh, football field, of course. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm shocked by now. I thought by now
2: we thought Duke Thomas had a chance, Jay Witt had a chance, Remember, maybe, maybe Keaton Crawford has an All American year.
0: At one point, Troy I think, he had it. Oh yeah, he, he, he did. first came out. Everybody he was—he was wearing like when he had that. When everybody was talking about him at the freshman, as a freshman who was getting first team reps in training camp, I believe Eagles. he's wearing twenty one. He was, and if I was like, I was like, all right, somebody's going to be. I am hoping and praying that there is a twenty one greater than Rod B. Right now, there just ain't uh, in terms of football.
2: Was uh, Gideon maybe?
0: was the only other one? Gideon is very damn close, man. I mean, that's he's one of the he's one of the uh, DBU's all time greats, man. He's, in my, my opinion. I know people what what that's crazy He's
1: like he started more games than any other player in history at DBU. You can't count
2: for some. <laughs> what you
1: got? And he mentored, that's hard to do. He mentored Earl Thomas and they were in the same like. You're class talking about obviously. one of the
0: heydays of Texas producing NFL talent. Nobody could take his spot? And yeah. y'all want to call a man a
2: scrub? Come yeah. on,
0: man. <laughs> yeah, about? Texas was
2: still producing NFL DBs at that point. Right? Yeah. That's Shockey a ton
0: bro. of them. And they nobody could take his spot. And y'all want to talk. Curtis
2: me. Brown, Earl <laughs> Thomas, Rod, Rod's favorite corner, Shockey mm-hmm. Brown.
0: Started for four <laughs> years, man. They could not slab that dude. And right. according y'all to Earl, Earl Thomas, Thomas, was like Earl Thomas' mentor. Yeah. That's just because he's a white safety. And I know y'all don't like white safeties. I get it. Nobody, Cowboys fans, we have this discussion all the time. I hate white safeties. I get it, but. Man, hard he should change his cold. intro for your
2: show because you don't like white condiments, but you love white DBs. Uh,
0: well, because it's 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 hard out there, man, for <laughs> white Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I get it, man. Trust me, as a black man, I understand with your discrimination as a white DB. You walk out there, people looking at you crazy, like you going with the DBs. Yeah. Oh you, man. You put the
2: final nail in the coffin of the white corner, too. Just uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I believe they're they're, they're making a comeback. I believe now there's yeah there's another one uh, that was somebody sent it yeah, to me on Yeah, that one Twitter. guy for Washington two years yeah, ago, and so then it's, some it's, other guy. It's coming back now. I mean, I, I'm pretty much done my part. I, I'm gonna leave it up to <laughs> Westlake. Yes, they were Lake dormant, to dormant make it
1: for twenty years yeah, after and you. And like
0: for while, and I, you know what? Extinct. And I had I, obviously I had a hand in that, and I you know I didn't want to kill the last white rhino. It was a it was a mistake. And it wasn't worth it, by the way. Yeah, he, he should even have gave hit it for another corner, not for Rod B. But he even and gave
2: you Jason Sehorn's number, he though. knew
0: it. It was like, nah, this is the way we put we, – we
1: finally put the white corner Don't rest.
2: blame Rod. Blame Jim Fossil <laughs> and Ernie Corsi.
1: And with, with Gideon's career, it sort of was like a emblematic of where we went societally that like – you're known from your one worst moment to where like it's like four oh, great years but dropping one interception against Tech I in O eight and that's why he's you defined know. his entire career. And now
0: he's back on the football. Well, I mean, that's Noah.
1: literally what it is yeah. though. You're only really right about that, because that was the biggest
0: that was the biggest like uh I guess mistake in his career, if you will. Or that a football era of Texas uh, football era, whatever it is. Well, even though a, we
1: all know one play doesn't end a game. That no. one play is the one that's in the forefront of all minds until yeah. the Crabtree play. Whenever yeah.
2: someday when Ernie he goes into the Hall of Fame, which as an executive he probably will go into the Hall of Fame, uh, people, that, man, you got drafted John Elway and traded for Eli Manning and was architect the Super Bowl teams. We'll be like, nope, he and Rod Babers helped kill the White Corner. <laughs> that's Ernie Accorsi. <laughs> it wasn't me,
0: see. man. I was uh, listen. I was not <laughs> an accomplice. All right, I didn't know. I know what I was in store for.
2: You were an, an unwilling, we'll call you an unwilling accomplice.
0: All right, unwilling right. Unwilling. Yeah, and unknowing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, you didn't ask for 30 There's collateral damage.
1: Uh,
2: but at any rate, uh, this time of the year, I mentioned the lull, and you get to this time of year, and it's, uh, you know, you got coaches doing speaking tours, and you got conference meetings. I know SEC meetings are coming up at the end of the month, in Destin, which, by the way, Texas fans, that's. Stuff you'll need to pay attention to or SEC meetings because
0: it's in Destin, Florida. Destin,
1: yes. Oh yeah, my uh, wife took her a bachelorette party there. Redneck
2: like, Riviera.
1: I think it's like a famous. Yeah, it's, a, like it's a it's a pretty place. Bachelor. I've been there once now as a you. kid, only because like my parents were like, "Yeah, we're going to Florida to visit an uncle, but we got to stop in Destin because of their white beaches." That's what I. It's the only place on the for Gulf. Long
2: Beach yeah. somehow
1: on the Gulf has all like your normal sand, except for in Destin, it has white That's sand, so like it's real yeah. pretty. Mm-hmm. It looks like a foreign place, and it's so, here in the middle of the Gulf.
2: It's mm-hmm. nice. The the beaches are fine. You mm-hmm. call it the redneck Riviera. That's what they call it. Yeah, that kind of area from like Fort Walton. Sure
0: my wife did not know that Fort Walton <laughs> Beach, <laughs> Destin,
2: yeah, the Florida.
0: The place I in Florida they <laughs> call the redneck. <laughs> I might have chased her about
2: because Destin's not, for those that don't know. Destin's not in South Florida. It's kind of northwest part of Florida, so it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. It's a little bit, little bit different than it is in down in deep the south. Florida. Yes. Thank you, Matt. A oh. uh, little Florida geography update mm-hmm. on, on Longhorn Blitz. Oh. Uh, but no, SEC meetings, because they're going to decide a schedule. Let me, before we get into Sark, I just want to ask you guys this real quick. We won't spend too much time on this, but uh, basically there's two scheduling models up for discussion for the SEC when Texas gets into the league and they go to 16 teams. It's either going to be the 1-7 model, which is one permanent opponent, and then you rotate seven opponents and mm. – some point you'll play everybody, yeah. or the three six model where you have three permanent opponents and then you'll rotate the other six in a nine game conference schedule. So one is an eight game, one is a nine game. Yeah, you guys have any preference one way or the other where the SEC goes? And I can tell you this: I, I don't, I haven't heard of any schools specifically that are staunchly for or staunchly against one. one or the other, mm-hmm. with the exception of, and I've been told this by a pretty good source that Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, and Georgia. Very much favor a nine-game schedule because for them, they both have a neutral site game. Mm -hmm. So for them, it'd be four home, four road, one neutral site.
0: Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma, neutral site game. Mm Yeah, I think as from a fan
1: perspective, I think I prefer the nine-game schedule. Of
2: course, nine conference. It just guarantees you one more
1: big game instead of the whole point of the SEC getting the one thing the SEC is criticized of is getting the one throwaway game that they throw in in the middle while the rest of the country's playing conference games because a lot of them have went to nine conference game schedules. And to what we've got used to here in the Big 12, they've always been eight. So makes me think that SEC wants to keep maybe some of those teams that are more traditional wants to keep their traditional eight and then they get their throwaway to – Whoever they pay to come in, and you know those things do help those smaller schools. But we're in a time of college football that you don't necessarily have to have those big payouts. Everybody can make a good amount of money with all the TV and streaming.
2: Like yeah. I looked, I looked at LSU or LSU A and M's twenty twenty one schedule, and sandwiched between a road game and a ranked Ole Miss and a season finale in Death Valley against LSU, you got a home game against Prairie View.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And no, they all have those man. different ones. It's yeah. the, the game where Alabama's favored by 62. I forgot who it was this year or last year, but you see those in there. And Georgia will get one where they're up 55 0 on somebody at halftime.
2: And that'll be the most pissed off Nick Saban is all year going into that game and coming out of <laughs> it. Because he knows well,
1: his team is complacent at that time, and yeah. they're obviously looking past whoever that opponent is. Then even matter at the media for overlooking the opponent yeah. in front of them that you're paying yeah, a for? Yeah, talking of money. about the, the, week, the next <laughs> week's <laughs> yeah, opponent. Yeah, exactly, like, Whoa, we got an opponent this week. Yeah. We can script it all to happen. You know yeah. how it's gonna play out. Um no, I
0: I I think the whole point, well at least for for the fans and for the sake of the product, I thought the whole point was monopolizing all these big brands so that we can get these big brands facing each other as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're gonna even get that even more so when the college football playoff hits. Yeah. Because now you're expanding the college football playoff. So to me it defeats the purpose. If you're gonna bring in all the marquee blue blood brands of college football and college sports and essentially decide, no, we're still gonna avoid playing each other.
2: You know what I mean? Like that's ridiculous. I mean you still no. e- even if it's not a marquee brand ride, right? like if you're telling me for Texas, like, hey, you wanna schedule Vanderbilt or you wanna schedule Lamar? You know, of course I wanna play Vanderbilt instead of Lamar. Yeah. No, as I
0: said, I don't. I don't understand the. I don't know. Like I said, it for me, and I know for there are probably some arguments against the nine game schedule. But as a fan, just coming from a fan perspective, that's the whole point. You want to monopolize college football, mm. all right? The, so basically, you own you. You basically dominate the market share of college football. You're doing what you know Apple is doing with you know smartphone market. You're doing basically what great big corporations you know Google and You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Coca-Cola.
2: I just had a Coke Zero before the show Coke Zero, right?
0: What these big-time corporations do in terms of market share for whatever product or service um, that they are pitching. And SEC right now, they have monopolized the market share of college football. That's the whole point of it. And then, to me, why would you, I don't know, water down the product by having them go play outside of the conference, you know, whatever. At least keep it as to a minimum. Them playing outside the conference, obviously there are non-conference games, but and even those now we know they have a different significance too. Where teams even like Texas are deciding, yeah, we don't want as many cupcakes in our non-con. That was Mm -hmm. even, that was even, you know, while the SEC thing or before it even happened, they were, everybody was deciding to upgrade their non-conference schedule. I just think we're at a point now, people don't want the watered down, a different ecosystem of entertainment now. People do not want the watered down product of whatever you're throwing out there because we got options. Yeah. Yeah. You gonna give me that old, that old, you know, that lackluster college football matchup? Okay. Well, that used to be sexy uh, in 1987. All right, I'm changing the channel. Yeah. Sorry. And only you, the NFL is the only entertainment king right now that can put on any damn thing, any matchup, and get blockbuster. That's why they can, they can put
2: a playoff game exclusively on Peacock. And like, exactly. Y'all They're can complain only- about it, but y'all are going to watch it. You're either yeah. going to subscribe to Peacock or. They're the, they're, borrow they're, someone's password or whatever.
0: They're America's number one television product. 80% of the 100 most watched television programs last year were NFL, and it'll be closer to 90 in 2020. They, they dominate television in this country, and that they're the only ones that can do it. College football, I think, had like four or five of those games,
1: so they're not even close. Yeah. Yep, and to show just a good example of when you have this eight-game schedule in the SEC and the way, like Jeff is mentioning, now when you add even more, you're going to have your common opponent, but then how rarely you sometimes meet up with certain teams. Texas A&M went to the SEC in 2012. They have played Georgia one time. Yeah. They That's still correct. have not even had Georgia come To College Station and play. And it's because, like, once you start playing the traditional teams and especially the way that you have the East to West right now, and there's so many, and then you get basically a home and home, and after – 2019, I don't know if they changed the schedule in 2020 and that's why they didn't play or if it really is spaced out that much that th- you get the first seven years and maybe got moved around. Everything. I went through their schedule, though, and it wasn't canceled because they played all an all-conference schedule that year and still didn't play a so I'm thinking it was play all seven from the East there and play all seven from the East back. And they haven't came back yet. So that's talking 14 years. So it won't be till like 2025 before you've gotten to play an SEC team at home. So if you're talking about adding two more teams to the situation and keeping it at eight, you'll literally have Texas possibly not playing an SEC team till 2040, you know, here in Austin. Like you aren't guaranteed to get somebody from the other side. It's insane. Yeah. that's crazy <laughs> So saying, like That's why I think you, That you need to have nine Because if you have eight It really makes it scarce When you add to down. the numbers yeah. yeah It's
0: a flawed formula We are not
1: even playing That conference team It's, it's like yeah. You play teams In your non-conference more Like Texas has Played Alabama twice you know and went by the end of next year wow. it'll be
0: crazy yeah it'll be crazy
1: should have played lsu too yeah we've yeah. texas has played, played
0: georgia part. as much yeah, as a and m's played they georgia <laughs>
1: it yeah, that's a good point that, yeah, I agree since they've went to the sec that's yeah, crazy. That is crazy
2: so i think i think we're all on board with a nine game sec schedule but that's at the end of the month and Destin. we'll see what happens at the sec meetings all right rod let's get into some of the sark uh sound sark has been on the texas fight tour as we were sitting here recording this the last stop is tonight in Houston. I'm gonna be headed down there as soon as we wrap mm-hmm. up. I'm getting in the car and going. Uh, Rod, I know I, I got some audio from his stop in San Antonio and sent it out to to the guys here at the yep. Horn. And we've had, yeah, I've had some quick hitters here and there at Horns 24 seven and really working on getting that content out. You know, you got to space your content out because mm-hmm. it's gonna oh, be a yeah. while before we hear from That's Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but Rod, you were saying the big thing that stood out to you was. Uh, the cut, and I think this was the question I asked Sark about. It was, it was about Quinn Ewers in reference to all the quarterbacks he's had. What's one thing they had in common in terms of where he sees the most progress? Quarterbacks in his offense going from year one to year two. This isn't. Oh, Quinn's, really? That this, was the question. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. The, the question wasn't in the audience. This
2: isn't Quinn specific. It's not oh. Mac Jones or Carson Palmer specific. It is, you know, what does he see in common, and does he see those things in Quinn? And he said he did it was wow yeah
0: i didn't know that. see okay that actually Context puts it matters. into a different it really does it puts a whole new kind of uh to me perspective on his actual comment so i'm paraphrasing here but essentially what he starts talking about and referencing you let me know if i'm way off here because you obviously heard it too jeff um he starts talking about quinn's ability to react and respond when the play breaks down yes yeah He's basically referencing second reaction plays and his comfort level within the offense, but once the structure of the offense starts to deteriorate around you, which it inevitably will, that's mm-hmm. football, right? Yeah. Uh, re- receivers, sometimes they get jammed up, sometimes they slip, so they don't run around the route. Pass protection, you need all five, six guys involved to block perfectly. Yeah. That's all. That's a little tough, too, right? And at, at, at times, you you know, something goes wrong. My man Shannon, there you go, ding, ding, ding. Mark that Sh- on your Shan- bingo card. Your, your mm-hmm. Shanahan reference. He, his famous quote is "Be coachable, don't be a robot." And I think Sark is referencing in that cut about Quinn at times last year being a robot. And I know what what he it, it happened to Hudson Card in twenty twenty one when we talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Hudson Card was being a robot. He was to, he basically was doing everything that coach told him to do. It was like, hey, because we we basically the example. And I like I said, I'm, this is just me trying to psychoanalyze Sark. We looked at the way Casey Thompson was playing the position, the way Hudson Carr was playing the position. Both... With similar conditions, circumstances with the same players. And when Casey was in there, learning a lot from Sam Ellinger, who probably told him, dude, when that offensive line breaks down, you need to get the hell out of there. Because mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger scrambled more than any other quarterback in college football. Mm-hmm. A lot of that because the offensive line had some struggles. But also Sam, Sam liked to run. Yeah. I mean, bam, bam, Sam, yeah. he was an athlete playing quarterback. He liked to run. That was kind of natural to him. And Casey, I think, kind of learned that lesson and took it to heart, even though I think they were being coached because Sarcass often had – you know, very negative things to say about the uh, the possibility of a, having a running quarterback in his system and having essentially, you know, a. a design run plays for his quarterback like yeah. he always says now we, we don't major in that you know we don't major in yeah. that so he wants his quarterbacks to stay in the pocket make nfl throws and he, when they do scramble he wants them to scramble to throw not scramble to run and casey i think would listen to coach go yes sir and be <laughs> like man i'm getting the first down you can do whatever you want to do and casey would do that yeah. hudson card would listen to coach yes sir that's exactly what i'm gonna do i'm gonna scramble to throw and it's like well yeah, but there's a first down right there. Mm-hmm. You can go get the first down, and you know there are other things you can do. You ain't got to scramble to throw the time, and it made him indecisive, and at times you know just made him make bad decisions on the football field. Then. Fast forward, right? He gets a year in the system. He feels a little bit more comfortable. And then last season, we watched Hudson Card be decisive Mm -hmm. when the the structure of the offense deteriorated around them. Make good plays, whether it be the dump off or the check down or scrambling to get big yardage. Because nobody thought he was scrambling. Why? You watch last year's film. That's why they were watching. Like this dude ain't gonna scramble. When he does, he's so damn late and indecisive. We'll just react to him, man. He ain't got no football instincts. That's what you and I. I agree. That's what I'll be watching too. But not in that offense last year. he was decisive and I think a lot of it was it was just his second reaction plays when he was off script now keep in mind this goes to Sark inevitably right psychoanalyzing him he is not comfortable off script his my biggest criticism of Sark and I think most of us is he is bad at the chess match within the game that's probably his biggest issue as a coach his preparation and game plan is probably some of the best in the country which is why his scripts give him leads but The football is played with four quarters of it, and usually your script only lasts about a quarter, if that. All right? And then after that, it's all about adjustments. It's all about counters. It's all about you coaching on the fly, off script, second reaction coaching, baby. Mm -hmm. And Sark's uncomfortable with that. And for him to say, now that he likes his quarterbacks doing that, that he needs that, because that quarterback saves him. Yeah. Like that's, if that quarterback can have great second reaction plays and can be someone that can operate off script and off schedule, it helps Sark a little bit because Sark isn't great at that. Yeah. Right, that's, and that's something that you really cannot adjust to as a coach. You can try to, but it's really tough when you're trying to adjust to a guy who's just instinctual out there making plays. Instinct. That's not something I can, you know, watch exactly. film for, develop patterns and trends. You can't really do that. So I do, and I think Sark's gonna get better at this. He's, well, he's got to. If he doesn't, Texas won't win double digit games, right. and they won't win the Big Twelve or compete for it. And then Sark will be on the hot seat. But if he's got to get better at second reaction coaching, the chess match within the game, and being able to operate once your script is done. Same thing with his. Quality. Quarterbacks. They asked the late, great Bill Walsh. This is from uh, Jim Harbaugh, actually. He said uh, he asked Bill Walsh. I spent time with Bill Walsh before he passed away during my first year at Stanford. And I asked him one day, what do you look for in a quarterback? And he said, athletic instincts. He said that that quality is an instinctive, spontaneous, natural response to situations that develop in games. Walsh said some of his quarterback's greatness was that his spontaneous instincts would break loose between 10 to 15% of the time, often making a phenomenal difference in the result of the game. Yeah. That is, that's the it quality. Like, I can't coach that, yeah. all right? And if you ain't got that, you, mm-hmm. if you need every— and Think about it. Even at Alabama, when Sark's, Sark's offense at its pinnacle, at its peak, right, the Mac Jones offense— Mac Jones only had to go to his second read less than 15% of the time. And that, that offense was operating on schedule, on script, all the time. You didn't really have to have much second reaction plays. Here at Texas, it's going to be a little bit differently because you don't have the Bama roster at that time, too. And that was one of the greatest Bama rosters we've ever seen. You mm-hmm. don't have those fastest stocks, And you don't have Nick Saban. You don't have the GOAT behind you either. You're trying to do two jobs. You're trying to be the head coach and be the play-calling offensive coordinator. So I think that, that to me, that was a didn't. And, and hearing your question actually put it into even better context for me that, that is a step in the right direction for Sark because yeah. I think honestly he's a little uncomfortable with his quarterbacks operating off script and off schedule second reaction plays but he knows it's necessary yeah. VY doesn't win that national mm-hmm. title without the second reaction plays like that's that's half a football in my opinion it yep. really is like I don't I'm like that that's half yeah. a football on both sides of the yeah. ball like, you get to coaching with the fundamentals and technique but then man it's off schedule go be a damn athlete don't be a
1: robot mm-hmm. yeah, be coachable and, but don't be a robot and that's why like a year ago when we first sort of heard that quote we were like you do realize that y'all's be- your best team at USC lost because of the off script ability of a quarterback like Vince Young and you know this sort of steers me three different ways while we're talking about this because winning those plays we always talk about plays that the defense wins yet because of say a mobile quarterback or mm-hmm. something along those lines how the offense can still win a way that it's like translatable in like the NBA playoffs is offensive rebounding you can do everything that you want but if you get the stop and you aren't able to box somebody out, a guy like PJ Tucker comes in and is able to get yourself an extra possession because they understand the intricacies of, yeah, you can do all those things that make you great, but then whenever... I put myself in this position after the defense has won. Our team can still win in certain scenarios. And that's why like offensive rebounding so big with the Miami Heat. And you see players with that high IQ that you're talking about and being able to go off script and just naturally mm-hmm. read things while they're in there or while they're in play. And that's what sort of brings me back to think talking about Quinn because there were times last year where we did see this two plays that stand out to the forefront of my mind is like the most impressive pirouetting catch Bijan made against Oklahoma when you heard post game in the Oklahoma game and heard Bijan talking about it they talk as if like there was this full minute of communication all it was was mm-hmm. Quinn giving a look to Bijan, like, I'm in trouble, you need to get open, and I'm quoting yeah. Bijan, and Bijan's yeah. like, yeah, Quinn looked at me yeah. like, hey, you got to get open, bro, and Bijan knew it's time for me to break off my, what I'm doing to take off downfield, and Quinn threw him open, and they talk as if, like, there was this in-depth communication, and all it was was one look in one split second, and they both understood what needed to be done And that play moved the chains And it reminded me of another one Where the very first game of the year Where a guy that You know Coming into game one There was no pre-existing relationship With Quinn On anybody on the team Except for with Jatavian Sanders And there's a play When one of first Jatavian Sanders Down the right sideline When he gets all of his yak Is because he's blocking And he he's just breaking off a block And realizes Quinn's in trouble And instead of doing his job Which is supposed to block He just sort of leaks out to the side yep. And Quinn is able to offer script just make a quick flip and play something that's totally unscripted but those are like basically there was the Alabama base so we're talking about in two of the first three games that Quinn played on campus he already was forming that chemistry with a guy like Bijan Bijan's another level talent but like you could see that those type of scriptability is inside there but also when you're being coached to do what you need to do and do it within the framework of the offense maybe that freedom wasn't necessarily always there because Quinn's trying to get the job done so just those two being at the forefront of my mind make me think that yeah especially Especially if, you know, Sark's sort of empowering the playmaker inside him. Be like, hey, no, run the play. But understand, if that play's going to hell, you make a play because you're (laughs) a transcendent talent. You can make a a sidearm throw like a shortstop that's barehanding the ball and has to change his arm angle and make us a play because we got to move the chains. And that's good if we see that. Great examples, too. I remember both of those.
2: Rod, within a 10-minute drive, there's probably, what, six, seven high schools around from where we're sitting right now? Oh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Go out to any one of those fields, spring practice. And what we're talking about, it is very, it is kind of abstract and it is kind of higher level thinking, but at, at a certain level, it's very rudimentary too. Because go out to any of those high school fields and what are you going to hear high school coaches tell their guys? Don't think, react. Mm-hmm. Don't think, react. Because yep. when you start thinking, you're already a step behind. Yep. It's basically what football comes down to it's not thinking, it's reacting. Mm-hmm. And to what Bill Walsh was talking about with the athletic instincts, I love that because. You know, It's not all just being about Vince Young or, or Johnny Manziel and how widely can you extend this play. Sometimes it's extending it with your eyes. It's, it's having yeah. the arm talent to mm-hmm. extend it. It's being able to anticipate. And that's one of the things Sark talked about in that cut when I asked him. He said, you know, sometimes it's, hey, your first read's not always going to be there. How are you going to process and get to your second read? And sometimes you might have to go to your third. And sometimes you, there might be times where you have to go to your fourth read. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be perfect for you all the time.
0: That's the whole point. That's yeah. that's why going back to the channel quote, that's what he's saying. He said, you know, be coachable. Don't be a robot. I'm going to provide you with what I believe are going to be the different situations that you're going to be presented with defensively, how they're going to attack you, how they're going to try to exploit you. Uh, but I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be wrong. I mean, and you're going to come back here sometimes and go, coach you was wrong like yeah all right we that's what okay now come back here that we'll adjust yeah I mean that nobody there right is is without you know being fallible in a situation and that's the key to football right you have to be able to adjust on the fly and that's why he's saying listen I'll provide you with the coverage I think they're going to get and you'll have options within the offense and you know within the design of the offense but once that design breaks down you need to know the offense well enough to know it's where it's starting to deteriorate Mm -hmm. all right and what that opens up for you all right whether it's uh my first reach taking away because man he's 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 over there playing bump and run and that's a really good bump and run corner who's great at the line of scrimmage and he's probably gonna jam that guy up you gotta already know that and if that's where the play breaks down you should have anticipated that Mm -hmm. i'm like yeah i already knew that was going but i i went early to my number two I went early to my number two. As, as Matt mentioned, I kind of gave that look. I always do a spring ball, and he mm-hmm. went, oh, man, he must be coming to me. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? And then yeah. you can do that. Or, hey, man, I got to – like you just brought up, I got to manipulate the safety with my eyes. Coach didn't tell me to do that, but this safety has been cheating on me all day, and he's been trying to get to that curl route. Okay, mm-hmm. if I can just cheat like I'm going to that curl – I definitely gonna open up that backdoor post route. I definitely can hit it, but I gotta move with my eyes. I got, I gotta over exaggerate these. It's like it's those types of Mm -hmm. things. This that's on you being a player, knowing the the, knowing the offense well enough, but also knowing your teammates well enough. That goes to the chemistry that Mm -hmm. Matt brought up, and also just the the athletic instincts that we just referenced with Bill Walsh, man. You and some guys don't have it, It, and it's okay. (laughs) It really is. Some guys just don't have it, but but Hudson Carr just showed us last year. You can get better at it. Yeah, you can man. you can improve that that area of your game. You just had to tap you gotta know how to tap into it. It's in you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why that's how you made it to this level. Yeah. You wouldn't have it. Uh, Charles Barkley always says, I oh, mean, anybody in the NBA can score. That's how they got here. Yeah. Like yeah. you know what I mean? You just gotta be able to learn how to tap into it. And I think that's what he's talking about with Quinn. And I like I said, that's a huge step, man. For Sark, that's he's uncomfortable having, in my opinion, this conversation because, like you said, it is nuanced. Yeah. And we're talking about something very abstract. I was, I was look, I was watching um, Sauce Gardner because I'm obsessed with Sauce. He's Gardner insane. Now. He's, he's unbelievable. I mean, the first rookie to be an All Pro since Ronnie Lott in the secondary, just unbelievable. He's, he's just a freak, and he was, and he said he he brought up a term that man, it, it sits with me because I remember Coach Akina talking about it. And he didn't talk about it until we were veterans. He said, I don't even like to bring this up with young players because they don't really understand. They, 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 they kind of overemphasize it, and they don't understand the subtlety of it. And he said, body language. He was like, body language doesn't whisper it screams. And, the, and you realize the, the older, I see the more of a veteran player you get and more experience you get in football, you do realize that it, body language starts to speak to you mm-hmm. more and more. Maybe you don't have a lot of experience. It doesn't talk to you at all it's almost like that was Charlie Brown cartoon That's like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> but as you, you get experience your body language tells you everything the way a guy leans you know what I mean like uh, how, how they come out of their breaks uh, you know how they get into their breaks hell sometimes it's their shoulder sometimes it's their arm sometimes it's their stance like body language <laughs> and he's like man I've booked he, he was just talking to me he's like man it's so weird I, I talk to some people about it and they don't get it and I talk to some people and they go yes I get it because they they understand it. And he said, I've been reading body language probably for my entire career. And he said, I've really gotten good at it. It's almost like people get good at, you know, lip reading or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a skill. And I I think for for anybody in football, it's really important for quarterbacks, maybe not as much. But just getting back to there are some very abstract nuanced things to discuss in football that aren't necessarily concrete, fi- you know, concrete technique, concrete foundational coverage. This route concept, this. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of concrete black and white things in football, yeah. but there's a lot of gray too, and it's a beautiful gray if you kind of understand it and can tap into it and take advantage of it. Body language being one of them, yeah. the athletic instincts being another one. But if you cannot tap into it, it can that gray can almost be a, be a fog, and you'd be like, what? Where the hell am I? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I. So I think that's what we're discussing here, and that's why Sark's a little uncomfortable with that. He was, I want, he's kind of a black and white guy. I wanted this, I wanted that way, mm-hmm. and we're talking about the gray areas of it, brother. The gray areas of football, and I love the gray areas because that's to yeah. me. If you're gonna be an all-time great players, they always tap into the gray area. They find they mm-hmm. they find power in that abstract. Nuance area. Yeah. They extract from it. A lot of players stay away from it. They want to just keep the black and white and the concrete stuff. The evaluation of the quarterback position and development of it is all gray area. Yeah,
1: you know? exactly. Well, <laughs> and to black then and, and, right about it. and yeah. then <laughs> interpreting and being able, like, not. A, I like the body language thing because, like, when us from the outside, Kasas can't see himself but he looks so loose and fluid when he's playing like oh. you can see the type of confidence like him with sticking with Tyreek Hill as if he's his shadow it's just crazy watching it's that dude but when you, it's literally like he's a shadow on a person yeah. just how close and he never touches them cuz he's reading by language yeah, it, which most i don't understand i understand some of that language but i can't speak it all I, it's like spanglish i get yeah. a little
0: bit of it but well, i can't right speak it fluently <laughs> it
1: reminded me of just like being able to but the ability to be able to read and identify defenses like you know so we are talking about quarterback and receiver relationships. And it sort of reminded me of thinking about, you know, and we always talk about the Colt and Shipley and 8 1, but like some of the best stories I remember hearing about Colt was him talking about, like, say, Ohio State, the play against Quan, but they had recognized that coverage earlier mm-hmm. in the game. And, you know, at that point, immediately, Quan told Colt, hey, if they're doing this, we're going to go right back and I'm running that slane inside of him and just watch for that all game. But it's something that's that quick and real easy that, okay, it didn't work here. But I know I've seen this. It's a flashbulb in my mind. If you get that flashbulb pre snap, Colt, look at me and we're gonna do it. Same thing that he did with Marquise Goodwin, Colt went to him right after that the next season in 09 in the OU game hmm. and was able to hit a slant to win and beat them. But it's all those different things that player and you know, you can have the call the play called from the coach and you can have everything with the framework, but like you always talked about where right? I like well, Coach Aquina gave you all that freedom on the field that you're the ones out there. I'm not out there. If you see something and you are strong about what is going to happen, you are making the plays, make the play. And that even works on offense that a coach isn't going to be mad at you if you've done your homework, you're reading what you're facing, and you do something that's going to be able to make the team be more successful. And that's just a level of maturity that shows that the players are on the same page and they're reading the right things and being able to identify their opponents in live time, which is the one thing coaches can't do because they don't have that Point of view, It's like that Charles Meno who play against tapped
2: stopping the
0: quarterback one. sneak. He's like, no, nope, I don't I like care. Every, I watched film, and ninety nine percent of the time in this situation with this here. formation, they run quarterback under center they short yardage. It's, it's it. always Chris Nelson. Chris, Sam Nelson. Sam Nelson. Sam Chris Nelson, Chris
2: like, yeah, Nelson. He's like, get away, get way
0: I'm going. I already know what they're doing. It's like no coach. That's what you need. It really is. And if he was wrong, I guess he's wrong, but. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have that type of conviction because I, like I said, my story was always the Texas Tech game, and I probably should have done it too. I mean, there are times when in games where, hell, man, that athletic instinct it takes over.
2: The uh, we talked about last year the interception that Jalen Ford had in the Kansas game. He said it wasn't anything that they were coached to. Do, said he and Demarvin and Overshone just had that relationship. He yeah, said, "Hey, if the, quor- the demo said if the quarterback breaks contain, I'm going to go to the quarterback. You fill my spot in the zone. Just peel off your man and fill my spot because they figured, look, whether it's the backside safety, the playside safety, the nickel, somebody's going to be responsible for that area. Jalen Ford had mm-hmm. and. The the risk of giving up a six-yard pass, that's not what we're worried about. It's the reward of, man, it's it's either a sack or a tip ball or a pick or something. That risk is well worth giving up maybe a six-yard completion. Risk glory.
0: Yeah. No, that was a beautiful – that's a good point. I forgot about that play. Yeah. That's a great play. Yeah. Great play. So that's
2: the kind of stuff we're talking about. The other thing, too, and then we always use the classic Mike Leach, Mike Leach example that his quarterbacks have talked about where early in their careers he will give them a situation where you have a play call – You've got the freedom to audible, and you don't check to runs. So why, why didn't you check to the run? Well, because we had a pass play called. No dummy, check to the run. There's three guys in the box. Exactly. a box. Check to a run. He's like, I'm Mike
1: Leach. I'm going to call a pass play every time, but there's a check to a run for yeah. you to go to if we're if you Whatever. see it. Well, You're yeah. the guy out there. Well, the quarterback It's his
0: checks and balances.
1: Yes, yeah, I'll call a pass play. So that's but empowering. You are my
0: literally my checks? But you are the checks and balances of the offense. You have eyes on the field. Which yeah, was right. a four. That's why for being most football. Start, that's why it's important. And Quinn can be the checks and balances of Sark a little bit, right? Because Sark, like I said, as a play caller, Sark's got some tendencies that lend him to be more like Coach Steven at times than Coach Sark, who the one who we all love and adore. And I think for Quinn out there with, you know, because I think there are a lot of uh, routes, and just when I went back and watched them, um, kind of just like primary read routes, uh, for Sark for and his offense, mm-hmm. which is why we've seen those force-feeding force, force feeding X-Men mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And I think another a little bit of that is, I don't know if I, I you know, some of it is I want to get the ball to X-Men. I want to force-feed it to him. But I think also some of it is I want to simplify it for my quarterback and make it easy and cut and dry, black and white, it'll be open. Sometimes it was wide open. And yeah. <laughs> the guy dropped it or Quinn missed it. So I'm not I'm not saying Sark is wrong about that. Uh, but I do think now you'll get more like you'll get more RPOs in the offense mm-hmm. this year. RPOs are about hand manipulation and it's about mesh points and you gotta really trust the read of the quarterback, what they're seeing. Y'all gotta be seeing the same thing. Everybody on the offense needs to be seeing the same thing, and I think he'll have more of them in this year. Because he trusts that quarterback. And I also think you'll lose a lot of those kind of force-fed, you know, that primary read Mm -hmm. uh, designated targets in his offense, too, that we saw early on. And he won't force it. He'll just allow – a a confident Quinn
1: Ewers, a veteran Quinn Ewers, to go through the actual progressions in the offense. Mm -hmm. Well, and also when you start to face some of, say, the top half of the, you know, schedules, defenses, not your weaker defenses, but sometimes it ends up getting to a point where, well, they're going to take away your primary guy. And we saw a lot of times last year whenever it becomes – the fifth skill guy Mm -hmm. is going to be left wide open the way we saw Casey Kane at times throughout the season or whoever the fifth guy is going to be, if you'll see it all the time in the NBA, like they lock everybody down into the shot clock, it comes down to being your P.J. Tucker has to make a shot, your Gary Payton, (laughs) the second, or who was Andre Iguodala on those Warrior teams for so many years, Mm -hmm. and it comes down to who is your worst skill guy to make a shot. Well, same thing with football. Texas has finally got to the point, I think, this year where their worst guy is going to be better than the opponents that they're facing. Like it can be A.D. Mitchell or it can be somebody like if you get a healthy Nayor. And if Texas can get back to that point where that person isn't. And it's no disrespect to Casey Kane. He was just put into a position that was maybe one that he wasn't necessarily in the best spot for. And now, if you can get your skill level up to the point that then when the defense wins everything and it comes down to being you have to go to your last option, our last option is still better than that defender.
2: I think, too, okay. the other thing that That's good point. I don't I want to make sure we don't miss this point on, on this topic. I'm talking about the positive plays you make. It also helps you prevent mistakes and potentially catastrophic mistakes from happening if you're able to understand the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rod offensive coordinator on the 40 acres when you were there, and for a long time, Greg Davis. I remember Major Applewhite, I heard other quarterbacks that played for Greg Davis talk about his deal was reserve the right to punt. Look, our defense and mm-hmm. special teams, some of the best in the country, a punt's not a bad thing. We'll wolf, yeah. wolf, wolf punt, defense will get a stop, special teams flip the field, and we'll be right back in business. Okay. Just don't, don't turn the ball over. And yeah. Sark, you know, he was on Light the Tower with Craig and I right before the spring game, and, and I've never heard him say this, but I think it's the best quote. Of, of what he tells his quarterbacks in terms of their decision-making when things go wrong, don't turn a fender bender into a fatality. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be a bad play, like that. sometimes mm-hmm. you just got to throw it away or, or whatever. Yep. Don't try to force the ball into coverage or scramble around and take a sack and lose yards. At that point, you're turning the fender bender into a, into a fatality.
1: Yeah, just hit Love the that. car in front of you. Don't peel over and roll off the road. Yeah,
0: and like I said, is some of those – kind of predetermined throws, basically, uh, that Sark had to force feet to football to X-Men. Some of them were wide open because Sark, he literally dialed them up, right? That was, he He saw the right, he knew the right covers they were going to play. He kind of baited the defensive coordinator into it mm-hmm. based on some of the previous plays out there. So we know Sark, he's got to have that deep ball, baby. <laughs> he's like, Pookie, I got to have that deep ball. And like I said, and, and sometimes it is perfectly dialed up and it's just a drop or obviously an overthrow throw or a missed throw or whatever. Um, but getting back to the point you made, I do think you know, some of those, especially in like the Oklahoma State game, I man, you were just throwing it into coverage. That yeah. could have easily been picked off by some savvier defensive bats, and it was on some of those against TCU. Honda mm-hmm. Tomlinson got up yeah. against TCU. So man. I think you'll have fewer of those predetermined throws because he's going to trust his quarterback to be able to go through <clears throat> progressions within the offense and actually operate the offense. And I go, all right, predetermined throw. You know where you're going with the football, right? All right, <laughs> you ain't got to read a damn thing. You know where you're going. Now, because remember last year, that was the big thing with Quinn, right? If you could give him into a man—against man coverage, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he had to throw and have to actually diagnose a you know, a, a pre-snap disguise um, and then be able to match up the pre-snap diagnosis with the post-snap mm-hmm. diagnosis, it didn't always track, didn't line up. And when it doesn't line up, that's when quarterbacks hold the ball and that's when they're indecisive. And that's when we saw Quinn a lot of the times— last year when teams were throwing at some exotic pre-snap looks at them and just playing of the zones, which is why the three high safety thing, you know, teams gave Texas a little bit of trouble with that. So I think, now that he's seen more of those coverages, it won't be so bizarre to him, so exotic to him, and you can trust him now to go through progressions and be decisive with the football yeah. and not have, the, like I said, the predetermined throws. You still have some of them, but not so many of them where it's like, well, wh- why the hell are we doing that when the other guy was wide open? It's like, yeah. well, because it was a predetermined throw. He, he, Sark won't admit that, but yeah. just based on what I'm looking at. I, I think the
2: other like. thing, too, uh, for a guy like Quinn, and Sark, I think, realizes, look – Sark's been around first-round picks and Heisman winners, yeah. and he's coached in the NFL. He uh, coached the guy that was a league MVP and Matt Ryan. Sark knows what elite quarterback play looks like, and I, I think he's got to feel at this point like Quinn legitimately has a chance to have a long future playing this game. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it, it's like it's the thing that I talk about that br- brings down guys. It's the difference between – two a couple of wide receivers I can compare. Like it's the difference between like Larry Fitzgerald and Des Bryant mm-hmm. to me. At some point – your physical skills will deteriorate. Yep. Unless you're LeBron James and you're just a freak, mm-hmm. your physical skills at some point are going to taper off.
1: But some, some guys
2: can, can do it longer. for a long time, but at some point it's going to taper off. Yep. At some point for LeBron, it's going to taper off. But getting back to football, when Des Bryant's physical skills tapered off, he was done.
1: He was. But he, didn't, he was done, and, and Fitzgerald was able that. to sustain Fair his point. career over time yeah, because exactly. mentally he adapted to the game and understood the game, what he was going against, so he could still. I think, yeah, I think alive Rodney for Andre Hopkins
2: decade. is doing the same thing right now. Mm.
1: Yep, yeah, I agree that, and that, LeBron's yeah. doing the same thing too, yeah, which is gonna just gonna make him last so much longer. Well,
2: when your physical skills deteriorate, what do you fall back on? And it's developing, and honing, and harnessing that second-nature ability to understand what's going on around and That's you why people, Tom
1: Brady lasted forever because he never even had necessarily those physical skills. Look, man, that, at some point, if yeah. Quinn's
2: fortunate enough to play in the NFL for double-digit years, at some point he's going to try to throw that that deep comeback and it ain't going to have the same kind of zip it had on it. Mm-hmm. No. Five, six years earlier.
1: I mean, just look at the career arc of Mahomes and, you know, going from the not necessarily struggles of 2020, but just having to adapt to the way defenses defended him and how he was able to really to change coverages in the NFL for a good couple years. But then it even took time for him to mentally adjust And that Mm -hmm. type of back and forth is going to happen over time. And it's going to happen over and over and over to where you always got to be able to have that mental side trying to keep that. That edge that can keep your physical skills out there, because there's going to be somebody that comes in that has a cannon arm like you. At some point, you can separate yourself mentally. Other,
2: other than you know Brady, Peyton Manning might be the best example. Like Peyton Manning, the 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 mental side of Peyton Manning's game lasted a lot longer than the physical. We'd already Drew seen Brees the physical too. stuff drop off. But he the the mental side with him was so good that he got he got what an extra probably three or four years. Then with your
1: Brees, mm-hmm. his That'd arm go. strength was shot by the end of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's uh like I say
0: it's for, for Sark to acknowledge it, uh, a guy who, you know, we dive deep into audio and sound of Sark. Usually he kinda stays away from um, you know, the comments about second reaction and guys operating off script. I think he understands now, I'm, I actually need one of those guys mm-hmm. because that's my failsafe within the offense. And his offense is, you know, an, it's an amazing offense. It's prolific. But, you know, every offense, depending on the right coverage uh, and great players winning their share of battles up front, one-on-ones, I mean, any offense can be stymied. You mm-hmm. um, can be disrupted. And I think he's kind of looked at where the offense was disrupted last year and probably went, man, I... I need my quarterback to go out there and just make some more plays.
1: Yeah. And you aren't I, always going to run good. You're going to have yeah. things that hit the fan. You can be as good as you want. It's not going to run optimal for you, and when that doesn't happen, you have to be able to, in the moment, adjust and rely on your instincts. Well, that's the problem, too, going back kind of with the running game, is the running game, that's what
0: Bijan and Rojo were great at, actually. Mm-hmm. They forced more missed tackles than any running back duo in the country and actually were two of the best in the last five, six years in all the college football. arguably ever. Exactly. Yeah, you can could, you could throw those numbers in there with any tandem. that In the pro football focus era or probably since yeah. they started keeping North track Carolina of it. North Carolina
1: with Javante. Yeah, and, that was a that big
0: – Yeah, um, but that's my concern about the running game is that, hey, man, the running game might not be on track either because the running game wasn't operating on script and on schedule. You had two guys that when you have a negative play or a potential loss, they would turn it into a gain, And when you lost those two guys and then you had to play a football game versus Washington – good defensive front, by the way. Washington had a really good defensive front, too. Got to throw that out there. Better right? better than I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good defensive front. Um, but your, your running game was a non-factor, uh, and that's because your running game without the training wheels of Rojo and Bijan, that's how it actually looked. That's the actual running game without this, the extraordinary talents of Rojo and Bijan, your best player and your best leader. So, a lot of work to be done there, and I think Sark understands, man, while we work on this run game, I I need the pass game to be prolific to the point where the run game's going to work because they ain't going to put nobody in the box because they're dropping everybody back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about real quick, uh, well, we got a couple of minutes from those cuts that we heard from Sark again. We'll talk about some of this if anything new pops up tonight. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, but he was asked about Trill Carter and, mm. you know, what he brings to the table, and Sark talked about wanting experience. But, Rod, I, I think it's Sark... We talk about the need to, improve need, to the need to improve the run game, and maybe you've got to kind of take the reins off of Quinn a little bit and let him be an athlete. I don't think Sark or PK wants to lose. They realize they can't take a big step back with their run defense. I'm going to run down how good their run defense was last year. Are you just using football outsiders? Yeah. Uh Line yards per carry allowed, 26th in the country. Mm-hmm. Standard down line yards allowed, 27th in the country. Passing down line yards allowed, 29th in the country. Opportunity rate allowed. And, Matt, you can expand on this, 11th in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets kind of wonky. Power success rate allowed, 65th. Stuff rate allowed, 102nd. If you could get Texas to third and short or fourth and short, you could have some success. The problem was getting there. Yep. You didn't get there very often. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great point, too. And, man, that's those
2: numbers are kind of mind-blowing.
0: And I'm, I'm with you. I think they realize the secret to their kind of defensive philosophy is, all right, guys, we got to stop the run first. And then it makes everything easier for us. Mm-hmm. There's a positive kind of domino effect when we just stop the run. Like you said, on, specifically on early downs, because mm-hmm. they're yes. not stopping the run, as you just mentioned. That's really well on those short yardage situations late in the downs on yeah. third and short and fourth and short. And I guess we saw that early against Texas Tech. I mean, they got some of those, uh, shorts and conversions too. So it's, yeah, I mean it's to me. I think that's where their form is, and they they know they lost Ke'Andre Colburn and Ojemo, and they don't. They can't quantify what the impact's going to be just yet. You don't know. Yeah. You think you do, but remember we went on how they platooned that group last last season, and man, that was probably the not only did they have the depth, the, one of the deepest interior D lines in the country, but man i think the rotation was a really effective one too where it kept those guys hungry uh, but also allowed them to be really really fresh so this year you just won't have that type of ability now bringing in trill that's yeah. part of it so you could add to it but uh i mean just losing two losing ojimo and Losing Kendre Coburn and just adding Trill, I still don't think it's going to be able to supplement what you lost or compensate for what you lost.
1: Yep, and basically when you talk about the disparity between stuff and opportunity rate, with opportunity rate, like Rod was sort of mentioning, it's on those early downs that you just basically were able to get them off schedule. You kept mm. them under the uh, the four yards that's needed, you know, to stay on schedule, yep. quote unquote, for an offense. You're able to go and get yourself into maybe passing down situations, which is good because Texas caused a lot of pressures and was able to do well in okay. that but when you look at fully the other way stuff rate is zero or negative yards so it doesn't necessarily it's still a win if you're only giving up one or two but on fourth and one fourth and two you know the sometimes that's going to keep the chains going mm-hmm. you just weren't necessarily getting negative plays yeah. which is something that's hard to demand for but it's also how you can truly find an elite defense so yeah. You gotta
2: think the advantages with the offense because they know the snap count on a short yardage situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you're maybe a half a beat behind, you can't you know, you can't come out, you just fire out of the blocks, your your ball get off. Not to say it's gonna be bad, but it just might be a half step solid it, slower solid than, it than it Yeah, mm-hmm. it might be a half step slower or one you know, that split second less reactive than it needs to be. And In- they're yeah, in all of a sudden, they got a new set of downs.
1: When you look at stuff, right? Texas at 102 was 15% of plays, 15.1% to be exact. Okay. Oklahoma State was number two in the country. They were at twenty five point six, so we're still talking about. I mean, ten percent difference is significant, but we're still talking one out of four plays you're able to get negative mm. for for Oklahoma State, one out of six yeah. for Texas. So it, I mean, there is a significant difference, but it still isn't as huge as say looking at number two and a hundred two, which makes it look way way worse. Okay.
2: Yeah, if you look at, I'm just looking at just raw numbers right now. I mean, Texas was a top thirty-five run defense mm-hmm. last season, and then you go to yards per carry allowed. Uh, hold on, this I, I in that, I in mean, and that. I mean, and that aligns with this. what
1: we're talking about too with the opportunity rate because over time, Texas was usually keeping a team off schedule. It's just in this mm-hmm. very dire situations when you need to stop on fourth and one, we weren't necessarily good at making teams get zero or one yards in context to the rest of college football.
2: Yeah, 3.48 yards per carry. Basically 3.5 yards per carry is what Texas allowed last year. But you got to think, you go back to 2021, they were over five. Allowing over five yeah, per carry, it was one
0: of the worst rush yeah. defenses uh, in the history. Five point two, I think. Yeah, Yeah, of the school, it was really, like I said. This is one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of Texas football. No oh, yeah, Defensive turnarounds, yeah, seen one year things, for sure. But like, yeah, it's unbelievable.
2: Maybe I, I I'm sure Texas fans somewhere saw this. Maybe PKs just going the opposite way the previous coordinators have. Where you, know, oh, you have a hot start, That'd be great. and then it, it yeah. just burns down in flames. Maybe it PK takes patience, but it's not good for got the Got engulfed in the flames, society. and now he's coming out of it.
0: That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, but at my concern would be GP no longer being there. I know he still probably can call GP and hit him up, but GP mm-hmm. was working hard in the building. So you don't have GP. And then the concern about being able to – Tie and coordinate the pressure packages and the fronts with the coverages because I think GP came in and kind of helped the what was lost in translation mm-hmm. and what you know I mean whatever reason there was a disconnect there and I believe he made the connection no maybe the connection is made they don't need him anymore but I would, that would be my concern and you know you like I said you and Overshown you know and Ojimo and Coburn you know I, really leadership is my question yeah they lost a lot of leadership. You know, not, not, not talent. I think they can. I think they will be able to. I'm not saying replace the talent, but they got talent. Unproven commodities. They're ready to go. They do.
2: The talent shouldn't drop off that much. It
0: should, it, like, this is you should be ascending now in terms of talent development and the NFL caliber players you're putting out. This should, that group last draft should be the beginning. Yeah, that's the start of it, and then you're supposed to be having other guys that are able to you know step up in those situations. So I'm not worried about the talent drop off. I'm worried. I'm worried about the lack of leadership, though. I mean, you lost a ton. You lost a ton. You lost your best leader in Rojo. I mean, when you seem lost to Tech, it was Rojo that called the damn meeting. Yeah, I mean that he was the guy. He, he well, was the guy. Sar-
2: and Sark has even said that this offseason He's like, like no, he he was like the heart and soul of our
0: team. Yeah, it was it was him. Yeah, He's was doing some stuff like right that with here. the Bears. Richard Howard told a story that Clean had a meeting everything. that, you know, he they, everybody was in the meeting, special Love teams, the and then after the meeting was over, he came back in the special teams room, and this dude was picking up trash that everybody had left in the meeting room. Just because he wants things done a certain way. Like this no, things need to be done a certain way, and they always need to be done the right way. That's the way I like to do things. Yeah. And that guy, you lost, so okay. Bijan is there's I'm just a presence about Bijan, right? Uh you know what I mean? And a presence about Roger I mean, Hammond. Raving about Rojo right now mm-hmm. with the Bears and talking about you know how mature he is and that they want to be a Bear for a long time, and then on the defense side, Coburn had been there forever. I mean, he was old school. He was OG. Mm-hmm. We know Ojembo was a leader. Hell, he got in trouble for it. Almost got silenced for it because he couldn't keep his <laughs> mouth shut because he was so damn passionate about what was going on. And he wanted to make sure that he got rectified and he wanted to lead the program yeah. better than he found it. He's one of those guys that came here to play for Texas, not coming to play at Texas. Mm-hmm. And he, that's why he coached. He coached like, no, he's going to play. But we did let him know, like, hey, man, don't be telling the family business. We, we, know, we, don't, we know we got some issues, but we're going to get it fixed. You lost that leader. You lost DeMarvin over Overshawn. Even Anthony
2: Cook, Cook been there for a Cook long and, time. Cook, Cook and Jameson. Leader, Jameson.
0: Leader. So my, my big issue is about leadership because leadership you need it most when you face adversity, which will be on the road. They're going to do that early. And when, you know, you lose a game or during a game you're going to be down, things like that. So I'm, I'm worried about the leadership.
2: My thing there, Rod, guys have to find out how they can lead. Find your yeah. own way because not everybody can lead like Roshan did. Uh, no. Jalen Ford doesn't need to lead like Demarvin Overstone did. Jalen Ford needs to lead how Jalen Ford is comfortable leading.
1: Agree. Yeah. And, and those
2: interior D linemen, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. They have to lead how they are comfortable leading.
1: Yep. For us fans, it's going to be really tough in that regard because that's the one thing you don't know. Like we we don't see now. Inside the building, they see, they can know, but from the outside looking in, we just don't get to peer in and see those things. You don't even notice those things necessarily in practice. So, that's something that you sort of immediately, like in the first couple of weeks at of camp, the first couple of games, can see if they have that leadership or if there are things that are sort of wandering, you start to wonder. And now we're coming full circle to Quinn. Remember,
0: that was his, part of his issue yeah. was... He was not ready to be a vocal leader yet. Um, That's why Mm -hmm. they needed Rojo, a former quarterback, in a natural leadership position like quarterback. You cannot avoid leadership, so... A big part of his yep. development now is, hey man, everybody is, they are looking at you. I know JT Sanders is trying to step up. Kelvin Banks is a natural leader. He should be because he leads by example he's one of the best players in the country. Um, And Xavier Worthy, he needs to be a leader. And mm-hmm. you got Jay Witt. Shout, shout out Jay Witt. Sorry about that. Jay Witt's a great leader on offense, but quarterback position, natural leadership position, it's got to yep. be you, dog, and you got to yep. have that, dog. Sort of like the same <laughs>
1: conversations people had about Bijan. You knew that like he's the best player, but a lot of people were like, is he the leader type? And he's the type that led by example you
2: know yeah that's an underrated thing too about the defensive drop-offs we've seen in the last 10 plus years at texas where mm. you know, that third year it seems like everything falls off a cliff uh you've had some pretty big leadership changes to go through no like thinking about doubt. going through 11 to 12 the personalities you lost i mean oh yeah keiston like randall manny out uh Keen, uh Keenan robinson mm, okay. uh blake gideon yeah uh, yeah you lost some big you lost some big personalities and then going from 14 to 15 yeah Quandre and Cedric Reed and Steve Edmond, guys that have been there, guys each have been there for a long and time.
1: Coach change,
2: and then you know when when the from eighteen to to the next year, you lost Amenahu and uh, and Chris Boyd and Chris Nelson. All of those guys were gone. Yeah, no, it is. And, and go it's listen, go listen to those interior D linemen. I mean, all the way up to you know, shoot, Coburn. Those guys still talk about what a great leader Chris Nelson was. Exactly, and and how he set he set the tone.
0: Yeah. Totally agree with that. And we don't really know. In retrospect, we hear those stories. But, man, it's not always the best player. they necessarily all the the best leaders. Mm -hmm. They just are guys who lead by examples. And, like I said, I I took it seriously when it was my turn to be a leader. Like, I was was, was ready for that moment. I was like, all right, when Quentin Jammer's gone, that's my secondary. My secondary will perform a certain way. There will be a certain standard we play to. It will be one of the best secondaries in the country. There's no question. It's my secondary. Mm. My stamp on it, and it was. And then when it was Nasty Nate, was like Nasty Nate. Joe Secondaire was like, I already know the deal. Is that it? I already know the deal, man? Won't be no drop off here. It's DBU, and that's how you kind of establish it. There will be a, a drop off, of course. There was. Um, <laughs> we won't start talking about that at the end of the show. But ah. yeah, that's how it was established, though, and it was handed down to me when when Quinn Jammer helped, you know, and Ahmad Brooks helped bring back DBU. Joe Joe Walker and that crew. Greg Greg Brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, that I know. Program. You bring him
2: up every now and then. Joe Walker's a name I, I don't ever think about until you bring him up. Uh, on this love podcast. me some
0: Joe Walker, man. I did. Joe Walker let me stay at his place while I was uh, getting by, by before my freshman year here, and I wanted to come down to summer condition, stay with Joe Walker, Greg Brown. Awesome! I saw way stuff that I shouldn't have seen. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: it
2: was the beginning of like the college.
0: Was My mom was like, "You might as well go early." I was like, "You damn right! I might as well go early." <laughs> and then they, Joe Walker let me stay with him. And oh man, it Get was the ropes! It was um,
1: it was awesome.
0: I was like, "If the, it wasn't real life though, because we were just working out every day and coming back home to chill." Yeah. So it wasn't real life, but I yeah, it was it was. That's awesome.
1: more work than most college. Kids like what you do. That it's, that kind of like, it's
2: kind like the kind like the bowl game experience you talk about. That's not real football.
0: Yeah, it wasn't real football. Yeah, I had to go to class all that once everything got going. So it was. Tough over, but man, that's, that's like what the, like
2: like the baseball team over at Texas is dealing with right now. Like semester's over, it's all about per diem and going to work out. That's it. That's it. Oh, get my get my meal money and Ooh, work out. That's that's it's all you to, good to being
0: a pro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah really Working out, going to the crib.
2: That uh, was awesome. I, I, I imagine a place like Texas, like for the baseball team, I'm like oh man, I, I don't have to gotta worry about
0: class right now. Man, what? Go kick it? Just oh, baseball? And you're
2: gonna give me some per diem money on top of that? Uh, nice. Baseball is, uh, did you see that story in uh,
0: the Austin um, Business Journal about Texas NIL and where baseball ranks? It, is, it wasn't specifically talking about no, baseball.
2: No, but no. Oh, man.
0: Baseball is like 10th yeah. in all the, out of all the sports based on their yeah. Yeah, uh, I know, their, their research. Uh, based on what I've heard from the head coach over NIL. there,
2: it's not uh, it's not exactly robust.
0: It's like, oh, woo, it, no, that's, that's got issues, man. Yeah. Yeah. texasonefund.org nice <laughs> Hit them up, man. They
2: baseball hit you up for money yet, Rod? No. As an as an alum. No, they
0: don't need my Well, football doesn't need my money. I guess what, baseball might. When are y'all gonna money? start
2: the D, the man, DBU fund, the DBU <laughs> endowed scholarship? Yeah, you know
0: what? No, 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 what I do want though is a DBU NIL package, and I I don't know if somebody needs to get it done. If not, I will have to try to arrange it, and it's pretty easy. I mean. You can go Austin, uh, Berkshire Airport, no fly zone. You can do a lot of different stuff. All right. You need
2: a. Uh, what you need to do is you need to call your boy Kenny Vaccaro. Kenny's got that kind of money.
0: Oh, Kenny does. I, uh, I hung out with Kenny a little bit over at the collective a couple of times, and Kenny's got so many hustles. He's in the game gaming world. world. He's got shoes. He's like he's hard to keep up with. So every time I hit up Kenny, like it's like I don't know. Like he, he basically makes me feel overwhelmed because he's got so much stuff going on. You know
2: what though, seriously, if you want to do that, and I'll go ahead and throw this out there because I know one of these two guys listens to this show every now and then. Uh hit up Jam and Quandre. If you if you got that DBU NIL, I mean, do. Quandre,
0: Quandre's pretty devoted. Uh, Jam, Jam, OG, uh, DBU. But Quandre's pretty devoted to DBU. Yeah. Oh, he's he like, like one Texas. of the guys like that gets people together and stuff like that. Because um, he saw you of, guys do it. Yeah, he's one of them personalities. And I, he still keeps, and I, I keep in touch with Coach Aquino, but I think he talks to Coach Aquino like a lot. So, anybody, love,
2: love me some Quandre deals. Yeah.
0: So if anybody can get it done and we can get like a DBU kind of a deal, NIL deal, like the Pancake Factory. He can do well, it. even,
2: uh, you know, the the surly horns, folks. They got the burn ends deal for, yeah, the, for tight the tight ends. ends.
0: Yeah, yeah. DBU needs one, man. Come on now, all right.
2: Quandre, hit Rod up. Y'all talk it out, hash Get it on out. Get Kenny and involved,
0: Huff, Huff Daddy. Things. Yeah, all this. hey, all y'all, all y'all got money. Let's go.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get down on that Huff money. Huff's got like that. that. Huff's got that first round. Huff has the first round pre uh, mm. pre rookie salary cap money. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, top ten money. Yeah, now Huff got. Yeah, Huff got because Huff, I believe, did he still own? Did he own like an IHOP one time?
1: Did
0: he get, uh, what did I he, think, buy I I I think, think he I think
1: he had a couple I swear of. Where he
0: them. like bought some IHOPs just for the hell of? Because he liked. I swear to God, his quote was yeah. like he liked eating there. No, I swear back then I was like that's how you know you bought. I was like, why you bought IHOP? You gotta be a man, franchise. Like, you know, the IHop. like these days, it'd probably be a Waffle House. But. That's awesome. Man. No, I swear he used to own IHOP. I think I think
2: I'll Huff, swear. I think Huff and my mom are the only two people I that I know that. of that love IHOP that much.
0: Yeah, I swear it was a story back then. I was like, man. That oh, no, awesome. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, just saying,
2: I, other than Huff and my mom, are like the two people <laughs> keeping IHOP in business.
0: <laughs> you know, I got a confession to make. I've never been to a Waffle House. That's right. Rod. Never in my
1: life. Rod. I think never I've only a been really one go. time. I've been one time when I was out of town. I don't yeah. know. They aren't around Austin much. I don't know. Like a, what, There's One out a head by, head by, the telling- There's one by the airport.
2: There's one out by the airport. I think Kyle Kyle Buta the Kyle Buter area is fixing to a well, waffle house. What
0: I see now, I don't know if I need to ever go to i I'm waffle house. telling
2: you, man, I don't need to go. There's there. you talk about it's not like getting
0: antics you, and hijinks happening. Yeah. No, nah,
2: that's over. That's
1: overrated. In, i in Oak kill where I grew up. There was a gym, so I didn't need to go to a. Yeah, maybe, a maybe that's
0: because we've had better quality places to go for breakfast than yeah, waffle house. Very, very
2: but true. in Greenville, in Greenville, North Carolina, after the Super Regional at two o'clock in the morning, nothing else in Greenville, North Carolina is open except waffle house.
1: I yeah. don't discriminate. I would do that no, in a second. Yes. If I, but I
0: would never end up in Greenville. No, well, that's true. <laughs> that's, I arranged my life. <laughs> the never way. I go to to Greenville. Greenville. I would never I would end up in a like that. That's a Old good jerky point. Chicken <laughs> place in Oklahoma or yeah, whatever. I never end up in Mississippi randomly. So right. Okay. have you ever t- have you told? <laughs> I the, I the, now the SEC stuff. Have never. you told
2: the story about the uh, the quota when we went to o- Okarchi to eat at Icians? <laughs> Craig has told on you for telling the the. Uh, The quota story. About the brother? Yeah.
0: It was real. Yeah. That was one one black man, and they went to Okachi, Oklahoma— to uh, Aishin's Fried Aishin's Chicken bar. bar, and all they have on the menu is fried chicken, uh, I think Frito pie, and hot dogs, if I'm not mistaken, like three items. Bring, and the chicken was good. Oh, it was good. They bring it out to you hot in like a tin can, pretty much, like a little tin bucket, if you will. And when I, we walked in, initially, there was one brother at the bar. It was pretty it was pretty packed in there. It was, it was like a Friday dinner, night, so yeah. Uh, but it was no black people, except for this one black man, and I swear to God, no joke. And... Jeff saw uh, it. Craig yes. saw it. Everybody I saw it. Roger, Wallace, Roger saw. Wallace was there. We walk in. The brother looks at me, gives me the the black man head nod, and then puts his beard down and walks out. Yep. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, that's weird. And I thought about it for a while. I was like, Bro, I think they got a quota in this joint, man. Because I didn't see any other black there people in that joint. There's only enough dog. room was for like, one of one- <laughs> We will allow one of you to enjoy our delicious fried chicken. After no that, room, we don't want you telling the others. <laughs> and it doesn't being overrun by the blacks. So you get a quota. I <laughs> I remember- I like, you know what? And I was like, that chicken was so damn good, I will observe the quota. <laughs> if my brother walked in, i would be like, can't hey, you- come in. You take my seat, dog. It's your is- turn. It's real good. You need to take the, take the chicken. I remember you take telling that story. Oh, I made it radio. But I thought I liked chicken
2: because it was delicious. It it was so
0: good. It had no seasoning, really. It was just fresh
2: mm, chicken, so like
0: good. mouth water. Oh, it would, like, when you bite into it, juices would, like, squirt out if of you it. Could take, like, <laughs> the,
2: if you could take, like, the crust, like the skin from Frenchy's chicken with this meat mm. and somehow oh, mash them together. did uh, that,
0: it with some juicy That'd goodness. be orgasmic. That'd yeah. be as Brett Bielema once Sounds said. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Borderline orgasmic.
2: It would be borderline. Well, I don't know. Some of us might go over the, over the edge. Yeah. I don't know. All right, that's enough from us. Uh, erotic, we're gonna wrap so it up. I just took it to the next level, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> I think that makes you. I want to talk
1: about said
0: erotic. I want to get erotic. I I erotic so, it. I apologize, Brett Biller.
2: It's uh. <laughs> Rod, I, I wouldn't call you a, a habitual line stepper, but you're, you're getting, you're getting close. <laughs> that was close. Rest was in cool. peace, Charlie Murphy. Bye, man. um <laughs> Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more
1: than welcome. Rod,
2: we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 1019 a.m. 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you get Rod B each and every weekday. On Balder Life from three to seven with same Mike Arch, as, same as blood. Get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from ten to noon. thanks to Matt, get our archives, our classic interviews and shows. You can get those on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep,
1: just type in Longhorn Blitz and search
2: Horns twenty four seven anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns two four seven, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz, whatever it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five star review for the Horn family, for the Horns twenty four seven family. I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again.